You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Almira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. Well, it's so good to be with you. Um, absolutely no pressure when someone says you're the first guest speaker who's come to our church. So I'm already feeling intimidated, but it's a delight to be with you this morning. I do have a strange accent as well, so I apologize for that. Um, I'm from a very small country called England. We used to be famous. I think they call us Brexit or something now. But um, uh, And I do want to say uh, it's a privilege to be with you. As, as Darcy said, I was around with the uh, core team. Uh, the, the launch team that started up Citizens, and we talked about this concept of missional families. That's been a big part of our discipleship in Hamilton, in our community. And what does it look like the church isn't just an event on Sunday, but actually we live as disciples throughout the week in community, encouraging one another as the family of God, but then also living into this beautiful mission that Jesus has called us to in the world. And I can say missional families have been the hardest thing we've ever done and the best thing we have ever done. My wife and I have led one for many years in our neighborhood. We're part of one at the moment and it has shaped us and formed us in the way of Jesus probably more than anything else. So just to encourage you on that and also just to see what God has done in your midst. Uh, from these early days of just talking about and dreaming about this church to see what Jesus has been up to. Just so you're very aware, I was talking to someone this morning before I came in, not everyone gets a building like this when they church plant, so I just want to point that out too. The weeks of uh, rolling up cables and moving equipment and all those kind of things, so this feels like a gift for your community. So God is clearly here and his hand is upon you. So please pray for us in Hamilton because we would love a building too. Anyway, that's not my message this morning. So uh, I, was at a, I was speaking in Muskoka last week at a camp and we were sat around the dinner table and part of my speaking was to a group of interns who come every year to the camp. They're kind of students who come from different places around the world and a, a bunch of these students were from Germany and as we were talking, what was interesting was they were sharing, as you do, about all the places they'd seen in Canada. And in the midst of the conversation, my friend who was with me said, oh, you've been up the CN Tower? I'm Canadian. I've never been up the CN Tower. Someone else who was from Canada referenced another place that they'd never seen, but he's a very familiar tourist attraction. And it reminded me of a time a few years ago when I was back visiting a family in the UK and I went with two friends who'd never been to the UK before and their eyes were opened when we drove past these rolling green fields and sheep were bounding in the distance. So like, this is the best place on earth. And I remember thinking, oh, it's like just sheep in a field. Sometimes we can become so familiar with something, we actually can miss what's going on. Like something becomes so familiar that we think, oh, that's just the way things are. We read the scripture this morning, maybe the verses that we read sound somewhat familiar. I know Darcy said you're going through the gospel of Mark, and this morning you're thinking, oh yeah, I remember bread, a big crowd, people being fed. This kind of sounds somewhat familiar. And in many ways, if you grew up in the church like I did, you can read stories like this. And Jesus feeding a large crowd of people with a small few loaves of bread can almost seem familiar like that's just what happens. But it's my prayer this morning that we look at the text and say, Jesus is always at work doing something in our midst. 
And it's my prayer as the church, we never become so familiar with the text that it doesn't actually impact us when we read it. So this morning, we're just going to walk through the story in Mark together. And then after that, I'm just going to ask, what does this have to say to us here in Elmira this morning? If you join me, I'm just going to pray and just invite the Holy Spirit to come. We say, come Holy Spirit. We ask that the scripture would be illuminated to us this morning. And those words of Hebrews would jump out at us that the word of God is alive and it's active. We pray that we would never become so familiar with the text that it doesn't show us and point us to Jesus and his goodness. Amen. So if you have a Bible or Darcy said an electronic device, uh, don't be playing Wordle, but please, that's the thing in our community at the moment, Wordle is everywhere, so don't do that, but please follow along the scripture if you're able to this morning. So Mark chapter 8 verse 1, during these days another large crowd gathered. If you remember from the last few weeks, uh, Jesus has been recently in the area of the Decapolis, And so Jesus is teaching and his public ministry is taking place and people are gathering and following Jesus. They are hungry to be around this rabbi. Since he had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. The word for compassion that we see in the original language is almost like a word talking about your internal organs. It means moved from the gut. It's an interesting phrase in the original language. But when Jesus sees these crowds that have followed him, they're exhausted, they're tired, they've been with him for a few days. It says Jesus is moved with compassion. I was struck by the deep meaning of this word in the life of Jesus. And whenever we see Jesus doing ministry, he is always moved primarily by compassion for the people. I don't know if you remember the last time that you were moved with compassion by something. Maybe when you see your neighbors or your friends or a situation in the world. When, when would we have the life of Jesus do such a work in us? We'd be moved with deep compassion, almost from the inside, this gut-wrenching sense of saying, God, what do we do and how do we respond? Mother Teresa's home for the dying and also with an orphanage there and just seeing these children who'd been abandoned in these metal cots in this room. Uh, as a, I think I was 19 at the time, as a 19-year-old English male just weeping and weeping, I just felt deeply moved with compassion for the people we were ministering to. Verse 4, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? If you read the Bible like me, there's some comedy moments. I think a few verses before, Jesus has been in a similar situation uh, where they've had no bread and they're in a remote, or they've had little bread and they're in a remote place. And it's almost like the disciples are saying, Jesus, there's no Fortinos. There's not even a 7-Eleven. Like, what is going to go on here? 
Jesus, uh, it says, is in a remote place. And that's interesting. It's the word in the original language, uh, aremos, which is another word for wilderness. And what happens is Jesus is often in the wilderness places or in the remote places, and that's where a lot of his ministry takes place. If you look throughout the sweep of the scripture, the wilderness, and as Darcy said, we'll talk about this in a few moments, as we think about the Lent season, Lent is often equated to Jesus, his time in the wilderness, the 40 days that he spent there. And in the wilderness is often where God does his best work. When we're in places that can feel like they're deserted or it can feel like a wilderness in our lives, maybe that is not a bad thing, but an invitation of Jesus to us. Verse five, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit on the ground and when he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people and they did so. Jesus is always involving his disciples in the work of the kingdom. If you think about these stories, Jesus could quite easily, I think, have done this by himself. Maybe he clicks his finger and all of a sudden there's baskets and bread overflowing. But whether it's wine at a wedding in Cana, whether it's the feeding of 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus is always inviting his disciples to participate in his work. And it's the same invitation for us today. Jesus is saying to us, how do we live on mission in Elmira to reach the people. That's always the invitation he wants to invite you as citizens church and say, I'm not just going to do this by myself. I'd love to invite you to join me to participate. And I feel that's the invitation of the season, particularly for the church coming out of lockdown. I heard someone say recently that it's a season of moving from spectatorship to apprenticeship. And in many ways, because of what's happened over the last couple of years, the church has been looking on from the outside, whether it's online services or seeing what's happening with the church. And I wonder if it's a season for Jesus to invite us back to participate with him in what he's doing. I have a line in my own congregation that the clergy have done way too much of the ministry. Often church has been come and watched the clergy do the work. And Ephesians 4 would say the clergy are there, or the pastors, to equip God's people for works of service. What are the gifts within Citizens Church that are sat here amongst you this morning? And how in this next season does God release those gifts for the sake of the church and also for the town you are living in? Verse seven, they had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. As I said before, this can feel very much like deja vu. And in many ways, you could be thinking, is Mark just retelling the same story? 
But what we notice is there are a few subtle differences here in the two stories. The first time, Jesus is in a region with Jews, and so he's feeding the Jewish people. That's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. But at this time, Jesus is actually found in the region of the Gentiles. You'll see the word seven loaves here, and seven was a word in Middle Eastern culture around that time for speaking about the Gentile nations. Within the Decapolis, there are actually these seven regions of the Gentiles. And I think what Mark is getting at here is saying Jesus isn't just the Jewish Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah for all. Jesus has come to reach all people. There is no one beyond the bounds of his love, his healing, and his saving work. Jesus is here for all. Sometimes we can think and be lulled into a sense Jesus is out just for us and people like us. And yet Jesus is constantly moving past cultural boundaries to say the gospel is for everyone. Maybe you think about your neighborhood or your place of work, and the question this morning is, who is the gospel for this week in my place of work and my neighborhood? Continuing with verse 9. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat and went with his disciples to the region of Dalmanthia. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. So Jesus leaves this region and now goes to the west of the Lake of Galilee and he's actually going to this now Jewish region again and he meets these Pharisees and the language here is very polite but when he says the Pharisees come to see him, this is actually military language in many cases and they come to test Jesus and to question him. That sounds very polite in the original language. They are coming out to pick a fight and disagree with Jesus. So they're not just here for a lovely little chit-chat around a flat white in your local coffee shop. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. They asked him for a sign from heaven. When it says here they ask him for a sign from heaven, what they're saying is we don't fully believe that you are the Messiah, Israel's chosen one. It's interesting they say to him, Jesus, we're looking for a sign from heaven. If I was Jesus, I would just point and go, do you remember that 4,000 people, loaves thing? That was a pretty good one. Is that, are you not content with that sign? The 5,000 people that I fed with loaves and a few small fish, is that sign not good enough for you? But I think what's going on here is for the Pharisees, Jesus does not fit their description of what the Messiah is meant to be like. They have a Messiah in mind and they have decided that Jesus doesn't fit that description. One scholar says this, the kind of Messiah they want will never come. They're determined to find a compliant superman who is endowed with heavenly powers who will fulfill their earthly program. See, Jesus is not the kind of king they're looking for. They don't want a wine-making, bread-making kind of king. 
I was thinking this week that maybe Jesus was a hipster after all, with winemaking and bread making, but that wasn't the Messiah they were after. They were looking for a Messiah to fit their agenda who would overthrow the Romans. They wanted Jesus to fulfill their sense of power. And Jesus is coming loving all the wrong kind of people. Jesus comes with a towel and a basin and Jesus says, my kingdom is different to what you're expecting. Sometimes when you prepare a sermon for people, the unfortunate things that happens is you start to prepare a sermon for yourself. And this week I was thinking about this piece of text and realizing in my own life, what are the ways that I want Jesus to be the Messiah that fits my agenda? Jesus, if you could just do this for me as I want you to, and Jesus is constantly coming and going against my own power struggles or the things I want Jesus to do for me. It's a piece of scripture that has ruminated in my heart and mind over the last few months. It's found in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation isn't always the place you go to for your devotional quiet times. But this is what it says in Revelation 5. And this is John's vision on Patmos. Then I saw, Revelation 5 verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. Most scholars believe the scroll here is the story of human history. It says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. So John is weeping because he looks and says, who is going to fix the world? And John is very clear and aware that he cannot fix the problems of the world. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll in its seven seals. So John is told, weep no more. Someone is going to come and to fix the problems of the world. The lion of the tribe of Judah, and John is prepared. The lion is roaring. Victory is here. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. John goes looking for the lion and he finds the sacrificial lamb. See, sometimes Jesus doesn't always come as we expect. Daryl Johnson says sacrificial love is the center of the universe. And what if Jesus is inviting his church in these days to be that sacrificial response to the problems of the world? Let's continue. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to you. Then he left, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. 
Here, Jesus is alluding to Exodus language with sign and generation and test. This is the wilderness wanderings that we see and, Jesus, and the children of Israel in the wilderness. And Jesus is saying to the uh, religious leaders, you are looking for a sign just like Israel. Do you not see what I'm doing in your midst and what God's kingdom looks like? It's interesting, he has previously been in contact with a Syrophoenician woman. Maybe that was in your previous reading in Mark. And so this Gentile woman who has a demon-possessed daughter seems to be clear on who the Messiah is. And God's own people seem to be missing it. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Don't you love the comedy of the Bible? The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. You've just had basketfuls left over. Like this is miracle bread. And these are clearly teenagers, I think, here, the disciples. Like, who did the planning and the packing for this trip? Someone should have remembered the bread. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Oh, the disciples have forgotten to bring the bread except for the one loaf they had with them. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. So Jesus is saying the same trap that the Pharisees and Herod are falling into of thinking my kingdom will look like this. Don't fall into the same trap of unbelief. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. They still don't quite get it. Aware of this discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you not still see or understand? Are your hearts not hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Jesus here uses this interesting phrase. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? For anyone reading, that's an allusion to Jeremiah chapter 5 and to the prophets and also again to the story of Israel. That wording is used many times for the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, I'm doing these things in your midst and do you still not see what is going on and what the kingdom looks like? What Jesus is saying is, do you still not trust me? Feels like this is an allusion to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about what you see around you or today because today will take care of itself. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. I have just in your midst multiplied bread all over again. There is enough for today. Do not worry. Do you truly trust me? So what do all these things mean for us? Just a few things that I think would be helpful for us today to close us out. The first thing I noticed from the story is just the compassion of Jesus. It feels like today in our world, we need an 
a fresh dose of compassion. I said to my friend recently, it feels like in the last couple of years, particularly with all of the online Ferrari, that we have been mainly moved by opinion and not by compassion. And Jesus is constantly moved by compassion. Henry Nouwen says this. I think the quote should be on the screen, hopefully. Compassion is hard because it requires the inner disposition to go with others to the place where they are weak, vulnerable, lonely, and broken. But this is not our spontaneous response to suffering. What we desire most is to do away with suffering by fleeing from it or finding a quick cure for it. As busy, active, relevant people, we want to earn our bread by making a real contribution. This means first and foremost doing something to show that our present makes a difference. And so we ignore our greatest gift, which is our ability to enter into solidarity with those who suffer. I wonder if one of the best ways we can uh, be moved with compassion is to listen rather than speak first. What if we listen to the stories of the people, as was said in the testimony earlier, even the people who we disagree with or see things differently from? What if our posture is compassion and a willingness to listen? I've been thinking recently about the terrifying language that Jesus uses about blessing our enemies. And so often in the New Testament, Jesus uses the word of blessing when talking about those who see things differently to him? What if our primary posture of compassion was to bless those that are different to us? Blessing, Dallas Willard says, is to declare the favor of God into the life of another. What if we were to not see other people as enemies, but actually as fellow image bearers? The church in these days needs to be moved with compassion. The second thing that I noticed from the story, and maybe for us today, is this idea that Jesus is always at work in the remote places. I've often thought the wilderness is tied to bad things or doing something wrong. In my own life, when I felt like I'm in wilderness places, I can often think, what have I done? I need to get myself out of this wilderness as quickly as possible. It's interesting, in Matthew's gospel, after Jesus' baptism, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. The language is there is almost compelled or nudged. And it's interesting that it's Jesus who is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Eugene Peterson says this, when we want to let the life of Christ make a revolutionary impact on our life, we go to the desert, or we go to the wilderness. And I think that's because when we're in the wilderness, everything is stripped away from us. All we have left is us and God. And we're confronted there with the things that we use to kind of, or our coping strategies for life. See, I think Jesus is always looking at doing an inner work in our lives. In a world that's obsessed with the external, Jesus is asking us, what kind of person will you become? And in Lent, I think it's a season, Darcy says, of fasting or having certain things stripped away so Jesus can come and fill us and do a work within us.
The desert is always the place of discipleship. I was thinking about you as you go into this season of Lent. We're observing that in our church as well. And these were just some questions I wanted to ask us. Are there places in your life where there are actually wildernesses? Places where you're actually away from distractions? Maybe in this season, technology, or as Darcy said, social media. It might be a season to step away from that, to understand what that is doing, uh, doing to us and how it's shaping us. Are there places where we can get away just to be in silence and have some solitude? Are there things that we've come to have an unhealthy reliance on? Maybe technology or consuming something, maybe even alcohol as a coping strategy? What are those places where God wants to call us to fast so that he can fill those things? So we move the compassion The wilderness is the place of discipleship. And the last one was just this phrase, do you not have eyes to see and ears to hear? Maybe the question I want to ask you as a community this morning is, what is God doing in your midst? Where do you see God at work and where do you hear of God at work? I've been thinking a lot about that for the church in these days. What is the church's response as we come out of maybe the restrictions we've been living in and are allowed to live a bit more fully in our days. And I wonder if what the Spirit is trying to say to us as the church is, don't live on nostalgia, but see I am doing a new thing right here in your midst. See, Jesus is constantly doing the miraculous and saying to his disciples, the presence of God is always active in your midst. There's these uh, verses that I've been struck by in the book of Habakkuk for a few years now. Habakkuk chapter 3 says this, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. In your time make known. In wrath remember mercy. Habakkuk is saying, I've heard of what you've done in the past, God, but I want you to do something new and fresh in our day. Even for Citizens Church, as you think about planting and you've launched and God has been at work, it can be easy to think, well, we've got the church going and now we just ride this out. But what if God wants to do something new in your midst. And I wonder, this is what I've been sensing for our church community, whether the thing God wants to do in our midst is a renewed call to prayer. When I look around the world and like John on Patmos, I think, God, how are you going to fix this? I wonder if Jesus is calling his church to a deep sense of prayer again. J. Edwin Orr says this, Whenever God is ready to begin something new with his people, he always sets them to praying. Maybe as citizens in this season of Lent, prayer is the thing that you're being most invited into. I'm just going to close with this thought from Philip Yancey and then I'll pray for us. I was reading recently about the author Philip Yancey and he said he traveled the world looking at different communities, traveling different nations, seeing what God was up to. 
And at the end of writing about everything he saw and he heard, he said this, I have traveled the world and seen lots of things and I have one conclusion left. God always goes where he's wanted. For Citizens Church, it's my prayer that you would have a hunger that was stirred in you by Jesus, the giver of bread, but that more than that, you'd be stirred with a hunger for God himself. That maybe we wouldn't so much just look for Jesus, the bread maker, but we would look for Jesus, sorry, not Jesus who gives us the bread and see the bread as the thing, but look for Jesus himself, that we'd seek him, we'd hunger after him. And what if God wants to do something new in our day? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in our hearts and to shape and to form us. Jesus, this morning, maybe it's invitation to be people of compassion, to check our hearts and our motivation as we uh, meet with people. Jesus, maybe it's invitation to the wilderness. Maybe we feel like we're in a wilderness or invited into the wilderness in these days. Jesus, maybe it's the invitation to prayer that we don't just want to live on the things you've done before, but we want to be aware of the work in our midst in these days. Would we be known as a people of prayer? Lord, we long for citizens to be a place that is hungry for you. And we would always say, God, we want to be a place that wants you. Come meet with us today. Amen.